You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Man, it's good to see so many of you out there today. I mean, we got a packed house. The weathers have had to move like six times, giving up their seats. This is great. Uh, hey, I got to tell you, I'm already in the doghouse this morning. Just a real quick story. I had planned last night, I was going to dress all fancy for you today. I had a shirt with buttons. I'm telling the truth. I had a shirt with buttons. Jamie even ironed it, all right? And then I got up this morning, I had the shirt on, and I walked out the garage, and it was so muggy, and I just said, this ain't happening. This ain't happening. So I went back in and put on the t-shirt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to let you down, but aren't you glad, though, aren't you glad that it's not about the fanciness or the plainness of the messenger, it's about the goodness of God and the goodness of God's Word. Amen? Amen? Yeah? So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, will you grab that and go with me to the book of Proverbs? And if you don't have a Bible, there are stacks of Bibles on those tables in the back. We would love to give you a Bible. You can grab one now. You can grab one on your way out. It's our gift to you. Take one. Take as many as you need. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs today. If you don't know your way around the Bible that well, that's okay. All the verses that we're going to study today will be on the screen so you can follow along with us. If you're willing and able, will you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? I want to read this morning for us Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Listen carefully to God's word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm going to just move these because they serve no purpose beyond temptation. I'm going to just set them right over here behind the wall. You'd be amazed at what's behind this wall, all sorts of things, and you just can't see them, and we just leave them there. Today we begin a new series called The Art of Wise Living. This is going to be a series in the book of Proverbs. The Bible, as many of you know, is divided into two large parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, at the very beginning of the Old Testament, we have the story of the history, really, of creation, the history of God's people. But then towards the middle of the Old Testament, we don't really have stories or history of God's people. We have writings from among God's people. So things like prayers and songs and proverbs. And at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, we learn a bit about the author of this book and the purpose, the goal of this book. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we know that the, the, the author, the primary author, is King Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon, you'll know the fascinating story about him. So one night, God comes to Solomon in a dream. And he says, Solomon... Ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, what would you have asked for? Solomon didn't ask for great wealth. 
He didn't ask for the destruction of his enemies. He didn't even ask for a long life. He asked for wisdom. God bless me with wisdom. And so God answered that request. He answered that prayer. And he gave Solomon a discerning heart, a wise heart, unparalleled wisdom. And in this book of Proverbs, Solomon and a few other authors, they are passing along to us this wisdom that came ultimately from God. And they're giving us this wisdom in the form of Proverbs. Proverbs are short, pithy sayings. Proverbs are short statements that require a lengthy attention span. Tim Keller, in his devotional work on Proverbs, says it like this. He says that Proverbs are like hard candy. If you bite down on them, you might get a little something. You might also get a broken tooth. What you really need to do is be patient. Slowly meditate on these truths until the sweetness of insight comes. Proverbs are an art form. These short and pithy statements that we will need to meditate on and think about together. And if we do, the promise of this book, the goal of the book, is that those who read it, those who meditate on these Proverbs, will know wisdom. Will know instruction. Will receive instruction in wise dealing. But what exactly is wisdom? Well, it's a bit, it's a bit difficult to summarize. We often are reductionistic in our definitions of wisdom. It's more than knowledge, like Lindsay already hinted at this morning. It's definitely more than knowledge. According to Proverbs, according to the Bible, the wise person not only knows, but lives. And lives artfully, skillfully, constructing something that is pleasing to God. Wisdom is more than brains. It's building. It's building a house on a firm foundation. It's building a life that is beautiful to God. A.W. Tozer put it like this. He says, Wisdom walks on feet. It's found in the nursery, in the kitchen, on the street, in the factory, in the home. Wisdom is knowing what to do in the various complex situations that we will find ourselves in in this long journey called life. Wisdom is knowing what to do, what God desires of you when your child is being bullied at school. Wisdom is knowing what to do when suddenly you come into some unexpected money. Wisdom is knowing what to do when you're offered that new job, but it's going to require relocation. Wisdom walks on feet. This is perhaps the most practical, the most helpful book of the Bible. Because as we will see, wisdom applies to the everyday things. The way we live our life each and every day. The promise of this book is if we will study it, if we will meditate on these Proverbs, we will know wisdom. We will come to live wisely. Today I want to introduce the series by talking about becoming a wise person. I want us to look at Proverbs 1 to 3 and do a bit of an overview of these opening chapters. And I want us to consider together three things. The beginning of wisdom, how it all starts. The sources of wisdom. And then the blessings. Why should you want wisdom? Why does it matter so much? The blessings of wisdom. First, though, let's think about the beginning. Where it all starts. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, if we were to distill all of Proverbs to one drop, it would be chapter 1, verse 7. This is the motto of the book, and it's repeated, it's rephrased in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is where it all begins. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, by beginning, Solomon doesn't mean this is something we start with and then leave behind. The fear of the Lord, whatever this is, and we'll get there in a minute. By saying it's the beginning, he means it's the doorway and the pathway to wisdom. It's how you begin and it's how you continue. You never move on from the fear of the Lord. So what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? I want you to think of this expression almost the way you would think about a compound term. And what I mean by that is... If we separate the parts of this expression and we analyze them individually, we don't really grasp what Solomon is getting at here. So it's a bit like the word butterfly, compound word. If you break it apart and you try to analyze butter and fly, it doesn't really tell you anything about a butterfly, does it? In fact, it only confuses you. Keep this expression together because if you break it apart and you begin to think only about fear, you'll think of things that horrify you, right? that terrify you. Horror movies, heights, drowning. But the fear of the Lord is nothing like that. The fear of the Lord is something altogether different. The person who fears the Lord, this is important, the person who fears the Lord has encountered God's presence, received God's guidance, and responds with affectionate reverence. Let me say that again so that you get it. The person who fears the Lord has encountered God's presence, received God's guidance, and responds with affectionate reverence. See, the fear of the Lord is about the revelation of God and the reorientation of our lives. God reveals his character and his commands to us, and it changes us. And we respond with awe and wonder. Love and humility, trust and submission, affectionate reverence. This is such a crucial concept that I want to give you not just one, but two illustrations to help you picture it, feel it, get it. The first one comes from a classic children's book. Some of you will know it. It's called The Wind and the Willows. And there's a part in The Wind and the Willows where the rat and the mole go searching for the baby otter. And as they're searching, they encounter God. And here's the description from the book. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him. An awe that turned his muscles into water, bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror... Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy, but it was an awe that held him. And without seeing, he knew it could only mean that some august presence was very, very near. Rats, he found the breath to whisper, shaking, are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him, of God? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, O oh mole, I am afraid. And then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads, and they did worship. 
The second illustration I want to share is a much more recent one from one of my all-time favorite movies, Avengers Endgame. <laughs> a bit different from The Wind in the Willows. Perhaps this will appeal to a different audience. Those of you who are true fans of the movie will know that there are some deleted scenes, and one of these is an alternate ending to the film. I wonder if you've seen it. So this is at the very end. Tony Stark has saved humanity. He's snapped the enemy out of existence. But in this alternate ending, after Tony has given his life to save everyone else, the other Avengers gather around him, and slowly, one by one, they all kneel in his presence. They sort of bow down to him, so moved by his self-sacrifice, so moved by what he has done. There was only one way, right? You can picture it. One way. You see Dr. Strange holding up the finger in the movie? Yeah? One way to save humanity. Tony had to give his life. This is the only way. And so moved by that sacrifice, they kneel in his presence. Now, I'm glad that they actually cut that scene out of the movie because I don't think it quite fit the characters. It was a bit much, so I'm glad they cut it. But it captures this idea of the fear of the Lord so perfectly. What's the common theme in both of those illustrations I just shared? Bowing, kneeling. The fear of the Lord is the bowing, not just of the head, no, the bowing of the life before God. So moved by what God has done for us. So moved by the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who defeated the Thanos of all Thanoses, the enemy of all enemies, sin and death. So moved by what God has done for us that we bow not just the head, but the life to him. Awe and wonder, love and humility, trust and submission, affectionate reverence. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. The doorway and the pathway. It's the first thing the book of Proverbs teaches us. Now, the second thing it teaches us is something about sources of wisdom. If everything begins with this posture of heart and life toward God, fear of the Lord, the next question is, well, how do I grow in this wisdom? What I must need is I need sources that are conducive to wisdom. And Proverbs teaches us something about this. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Solomon says, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Here in chapter 2, Solomon teaches us about the primary source of wisdom. He uses some powerful imagery to implore us to prioritize this source. And then he gives us a promise. Look first at what the primary source is. It's very clear here in verse 1. If you receive my words, the words of Solomon, which ultimately are the words of God. The words of God that came to Solomon and now through Solomon to us. The Bible, God's word, is always the primary source of wisdom. So if we are to be wise people, if we are to live wisely, we must be students of God's word. We must become and remain students of God's word. And what does a student of the word do? 
He receives the word. She calls out for it, seeks it, searches for it. In the same way that a treasure hunter searches for gold or silver. You are Indiana Jones. You are Indiana Jones with the same discipline and diligence as he goes after long lost treasures. You are to search the word of God and there you will find wisdom. Notice also also there's a promise here. Look at the if-then statements in verses 1 to 6. If you receive my words, if you call out for it, if you seek it and search for it, then you will understand. Then you will find knowledge for the Lord gives wisdom. Now hang on a second, Solomon. Which is it? Do we seek wisdom or does God give wisdom? I'm a little confused here. Well, don't you see? It's both. God gives wisdom as we seek Him. Wisdom is not something you're going to drift into accidentally. You must steer toward it deliberately. You must be a student of the Word. God's Word is always the primary source of wisdom. But that should cause us to ask a question. Are there other sources? Are there other sources of wisdom out there? And if so, what are they? Here I want to introduce you to something very handy called the Wisdom Pyramid. The Wisdom Pyramid will be a companion for us in this series. We'll come back to it several times. Now this idea is not original with me. This comes from a man named Brett McCracken. He's a senior editor of the Gospel Coalition. He's just written a new book called The Wisdom Pyramid. Hot off the press. I must say, this is one of those books that really every follower of Christ should purchase and read. It's that good. It's a superb book, The Wisdom Pyramid. McCracken, in the book, makes the case that our world today has more and more information and less and less wisdom. More and more information, but less and less wisdom. And so what we need is a diet of healthy information intake. So he has crafted what he calls the wisdom pyramid, playing off of the old idea of the food pyramid. You remember that back when you were in elementary school or whatever? Well, this is the wisdom pyramid. According to him, there are six sources of wisdom. The first one at the foundation here is God's Word, the Bible. We've already seen this in Proverbs. Everything begins with God's Word. When you open the Bible, you are listening to, encountering the living God the author and giver of wisdom. So the Bible is the foundational level of the wisdom pyramid. Now just above that, McCracken says, is the church, the community of believers. We need each other for so many reasons. One of the reasons is that we are better readers of Scripture when we read it together. When we gather in connection groups, And we have conversations about passages of Scripture. Isn't it amazing how someone in your group will see something in that verse that you've never seen? Wow, I'm so glad he said that. I'm so glad she pointed that out. We're better readers of Scripture when we read in community. So the second source of wisdom is the church. Now above that, the third source, according to McCracken, is nature. Nature. If it's true that we become wiser by knowing God more, 
then it's also true that nature is a source of wisdom because as we get outside, as we enjoy the beauty of creation, we begin to understand more and more about the God of creation. In the same way that you can learn some things about Van Gogh by studying his paintings, you can learn some things about Martin Scorsese by watching his movies. You can learn some things about God by observing the beauty of his creation, the beauty of nature. Nature reveals the greatness, the glory of God, and it also humbles us. Think about it. When was the last time the weather asked for your opinion? Nature doesn't want your counsel. You can't control it. It shows us our smallness. It shows us our smallness. It shows us the greatness of God. Why is it that sometimes when we're outside, we feel closer to God? Is it just me that feels this way? I have a little spot in my backyard. Just going out there and sitting and hearing the birds, feeling the wind on my face. I feel closer to God. Why? Because as I sit in creation, I'm reminded that that's exactly what I am. I am part of God's creation. And when I am keenly aware of my createdness, it makes me feel even closer to my creator. Nature is a source of wisdom. Now above this, McCracken says, is books. And by this he means good old-fashioned ink and paper books. You still have any of those around your house? Books? You know what I'm talking about? There's a growing amount of research that has revealed, that's demonstrated, that reading books actually helps us become better thinkers. It's not necessarily true when we read digitally, when we're looking at screens, but when you hold a book in your hand, in your lap, and you read it, it actually helps us develop the ability to think well, to think deeply, to stay focused on one subject for a prolonged amount of time. And really, when you think about it, reading also helps us learn how to tame our tongues. Proverbs will have much to say about this. We'll come back to it later. But let me just give you this very applicable thought. When you read a book, it is an exercise in being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. And so books can be sources of wisdom. Now, two more. Above this, the fifth level of the wisdom pyramid is what McCracken calls beauty. Beauty. By which he means music and art and creativity in general. You see, God is the author of beauty. God is the standard of beauty. And so all beauty really points us, directs us to Him. Beauty has a way of awakening within us a gratitude that almost nothing else can. Never am I more grateful than when I first smell and sip my morning coffee. Never am I more grateful. I praise the God who created people in His image with the ability to invent such a delicious concoction as this. Now bear in mind, this is, this is good coffee. This is weighed beans and ground and hot water poured over this patient process and man what it is a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing beauty has a way of awakening within us this gratitude for our creator beauty is a source of wisdom there's one more at the very top of the pyramid 
is what McCracken calls technology or the internet and social media. This, he would say, is the use sparingly part of our wisdom diet. He doesn't want us to reject technology. It's in the wisdom pyramid. He doesn't want us to reject it. He wants us to redeem it. To use it purposefully. When you go online, ask yourself this question. What am I going online to do? Is there a purpose? Is there a goal? Because if you're going online and you're going nowhere, then you'll go anywhere. And the anywheres of the internet usually are not good for us. Usually they're not conducive to wisdom. The other thing McCracken warns us about is that when we're online, we're not typically deep thinkers and we're not typically slow to speak. More often than not, we're quick to speak online. So we'll have to be mindful of this, cautious about it. We'll have to make sure that we're asking for God's grace and His help so that what we're doing when we communicate online is we're taking the things we love and we're using them to bless others rather than taking the things we hate and using them to anger others. You see the difference? So technology is part of the wisdom pyramid, but it's the use sparingly part. Now here's the last thing McCracken says, and I think he's spot on. He says that in most households today, what has happened is we have flipped the pyramid. We've flipped the pyramid so that technology occupies the foundation. And the Bible, God's word, occupies the use sparingly peak. And that's why we have a world with more and more information, but less and less wisdom. Now, what about your household? What are the sources of wisdom in your home? What are the sources of wisdom your children, your grandchildren, see you consulting? Just something to think about. We'll come back to this. The Bible, God's Word, is always the primary source of information, but he is, of, of wisdom. But He has given us other sources that can lead us down this wise path. Now, the last thing I want us to consider this morning is the blessings of wisdom. So if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, this posture of heart and life toward God, and then if there are sources of wisdom that God has given us, let's look finally at the blessings of wisdom. Why should you want this? Why should you want it for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren? Proverbs 3 answers the question for us. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Really what Solomon is doing here in the end is he's teaching us why wisdom is something worth pursuing. The blessings of it. Really what he's saying is wisdom is better than wealth. Wisdom is far better than material wealth. And let me show you why. Most people, whether you realize this about yourself or not, most people 
make decisions based on whatever it is they think will move them the farthest, carry them the farthest in life. And we often do this with our children. So we put our children in sports. Why? Because we think maybe they'll become great athletes. And maybe, down the road, that athletic scholarship will carry them to a lucrative career. Not always, but sometimes that's how we think. With ourselves, we think, why is it okay for me to continue working more and more hours and being at home less and less? Because that big promotion, it will carry me, it will carry me into a comfortable retirement. We make decisions based on what we think will carry us farthest in life. And often, we think money will carry us. We think material wealth will carry us. But here's the reality. It can carry you only so far. It can carry you only so far. Material wealth might carry you to a comfortable retirement. It might even carry you to your deathbed. But it can take you no farther. It can carry you no farther, nor you it. I stood at someone's deathbed this week. I've been at a number of deathbeds in my two decades of ministry. And I can promise you this. Every man, woman, boy, and girl meets death with the same hands. Empty ones. Empty ones. Wisdom is better than material wealth because it can carry you, not just to death, but through it. But through it. Look at what Solomon says about wisdom here. Long life is in her hand. Riches, honor, pleasantness, peace. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the benefit of wisdom, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Wisdom will benefit you ways in this life that money will not, and also in the life to come in ways that money will not. Start with the life here. Money might put food around the table. Wisdom will bring laughter, fellowship to the table. Money. Money might buy you a house. Wisdom will make it a home. Money might buy a piece of expensive jewelry. Wisdom will build a marriage that lasts 50, 60 years. Money might carry you comfortably to retirement, even to death. Wisdom will take you through death. That's the eternal significance of it. Did you notice here this reference to the tree of life in verse 18? It's an interesting reference, isn't it? It's intriguing. The tree of life is mentioned in only three parts of the Bible. Genesis, the very beginning of the biblical story. Revelation, the very end. And Proverbs, here in the middle. In the very beginning of the biblical story, Adam and Eve, humanity's representatives, they lost access to the tree of life because of their pride, because of their prideful rebellion against God. They thought they had a better way. They wanted to go their own way. And so they lost access to this tree that provided eternal life. Proverbs is teaching us that when we humble ourselves before God, we regain access to the tree of life, that is, to eternal life. Wisdom is the way back to the tree of life. Now, how is it that wisdom has such power? Because remember the beginning of it all. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's looking to God in faith. 
It's that posture of heart and life of awe and wonder, love and humility, trust and submission, affectionate reverence. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's how Solomon can say, blessed, blessed is the one who finds wisdom because the one who finds wisdom finds eternal life by looking ultimately to Jesus, the one who died in our place for our sins, taking the punishment for our prideful rebellion in the very beginning. Wisdom is the path to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this new study that we get to begin today. I'm so excited to see what you have for us, your people, in Proverbs. Lord, we so desire to fear you, to serve you, to love you, to bow our lives before you. So we ask that you would forgive our sins, that you would forgive us for the times we have failed you, for our selfishness, for our own pride, for the times that we have not used our words wisely. We have not been quick to hear and slow to speak. For the times that the sources of wisdom in our life, they've been all out of order. Forgive us for that. And thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin that is found at the cross of Christ and there alone. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. Your sacrifice that destroyed the enemy of all enemies, sin and death. They have no power over us now. Help us to live that way, humbly seeking you, God, each and every day pursuing a life of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray.